Do you uh, ever find yourself getting tired of resisting? I sure do. I'm always, always having to resist the Doritos. Of course I bought the party size. I mean, what other size would you buy? You've heard me say it before, Doritos are the devil. Like, notice they wrap it in red. <laughs> Doritos, Lord have mercy. I, uh, I love Doritos. In fact, I love them so much that every time I buy them, it causes me uh, a little thrill. For those of you who are uh, podcasting this sermon, I've just placed the Dorito bag in my backpack. Coca-Cola is also the devil. It's so evil, in fact, that I can't remember the last time I had one. My wife has finally trained me off the Coca-Cola train. As a teenager, I think I used to have one of these per day. I remember when I uh, was in second year university, the thought occurred to me, maybe this is not such a good idea. Maybe I should lay off the Coke because, if I'm really being honest, I would always pair the Coke with a Snickers. Now, I know that you have your favorite, but it's almost impossible to argue with the fact that Snickers is the greatest chocolate bar of all time. I was kind of torn between Snickers and Wonder Bar. Big Henry's, all, oh, sorry, O. Henry's also awesome. Mr. Big, okay. I could go on and on and on. You probably have your favorite as well. Coca-Cola, Snickers. This Snickers actually started talking to me before I even bought it. I was thinking about it last night, and I was like, I'm going to buy a Snickers bar tomorrow, and the trick is going to be to not eat it. Even now, I'm salivating. Snickers, Lord have mercy. I get tired of resisting. In fact, my uh, pathology when it comes to food runs so deep that, uh, you know, I think maybe I need to go home and cleanse my system from all this evil food. So I will do so with a healthy bowl of life cereal. (laughs) Apparently, it's very good for you. Whole grain cereal, low in saturated and trans fats. My wife, every time I talk about a cereal, tells me how bad it is. She says, just read the ingredients. And I say, I don't want to. I want to put the ingredients in my belly. (laughs) Do you miss having life cereal? I don't eat it much anymore. I resist. And I also stopped drinking milk recently. You're like, wow, this poor miserable wretch. See this beautiful carton of milk? I mean, that is, that's just awesome. I, I figured I'm 44 years old. I should probably stop drinking milk. So I did a few weeks ago. I don't know if it's making any difference, but I do know that it's making me miserable. I, in fact, said to Nikki the other night, I was like, I, I just really need a bowl of cereal and some milk. And she looked at me with a mixture of compassion and contempt in her eyes and <clears throat> told me to suck it up and be a man. For those of you podcasting this sermon, I just zipped up my backpack with all of the wonderful food in it, and I have placed it on my shoulders, because I am now about to preach. Resistance requires a powerful why. Why would I stop eating Snickers? Well, because I don't want to be fat. Why don't you want to be fat? Well, because I would like to live healthily to an old age so I can preach until I'm old. That why is strong enough that I can resist the Snickers. Why would I continuously 
resist the urge to place myself on the throne of my life? Why would I do that? Well, the reason I would continuously resist the urge to place myself on the throne of my life is because doom or glory hang in the balance. Let's take a look at Isaiah 46. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save them. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and make him into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. <laughs> Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. He's referring there to Cyrus of Persia. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. Oh, hear this, church. I bring near <laughs> my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. In the Hebrew there, it's my salvation will not come last. I will put salvation in Zion. For Israel, my glory. Man, I came to Isaiah 46, and I celebrated for a few reasons. One, it's beautiful. Two, it's short. I was like, thank you, Lord, for a 13-verse chapter in Isaiah. Help me, Jesus. They've all been like 25 verses lately. You see me struggling to try and get it all done in half an hour. Lord, help me understand. This week, 13 verses. We're good. Doom and glory hang in the balance in Isaiah 46. The doom is outlined, as you can see clearly, in verses 1 and 2. Bel bows down. Nevo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. This is a picture here of the great gods of Babylon being stacked onto donkeys and herded off one day into captivity in Persia. This is a picture of idolatry meeting its end. This is a picture of the miserable future of all those who worship false gods. The glory is contained in the last verse, verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. I bring near my righteousness, it is not afar off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion. For Israel, my glory. Zion ultimately will be saved and God will put his beauty, that's the word there for glory, he will put his beauty in Israel. This is a picture of the glorious destiny of God's people. We're going to contrast these two things, this doom and this glory. 
as we work our way through Isaiah 46. Starting with verses 1 through 2. Bel bows down. Nevo stoops. Every new year, the false god Nevo, who was the lieutenant god of Babylon, he was the son of Bel Marduk, he was the second god in command, if you will, of the Babylonian Empire. His city was the city of Borsippa. And every Babylonian New Year, the people, the citizens of Borsippa, would mount an idol of this god. They would mount him on a donkey and they would process with him to Babylon proper where this god, Nevo, would pay homage to his father, Bel Marduk. Bel Marduk was the father, the lord, the god of war, the principal god of the Babylonian empire. And so you need to hold in your mind this big celebration that would occur as the entire city would pour out of Borsippa and trek to the city of Babylon, a great and magnificent city. Probably, we don't know for sure what China looked like at the time, but in the western part of the world, without doubt, Babylon at that time was the most outstanding city. Gorgeous, built up, powerful, mighty, the plunder of nations brought into it. And so this procession was quite a to-do. It was their New Year's celebration. It was their Super Bowl parade. As I thought on this, it actually struck fear in my heart thinking about Philadelphia last year. What a to-do they had in Philly. If you're a Phillies fan, I'm glad, for, I'm glad for you. It was exciting. But I was like, huh, not that much has changed after all. Now Isaiah looks at this procession and he thinks it's all very silly. He's saying, in effect, with this entire chapter, if you have to carry your God, your God is no God. to put your God on your back and carry it. What you're carrying is not a God. What you're carrying is a burden. Verse 1b. These things you carry, hear this church, this is heavy duty, are born as burdens. Even now my backpack is making me uncomfortable. And I have to preach twice for 30 minutes today with it on my back. And think about how silly and inconsequential this burden is. These things you carry are born as burdens. You know what the word burdens is here in the Hebrew? It's heavy duty. Atzvihem. From the root atzuv, which is the word for sadness. These things they carry are sadness makers. That'll preach good. Idols are placebos that become burdens, that turn into sadness makers in your life. Verse 2, they stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. This is an ultimate picture of doom. These all-powerful so-called gods of Babylon being carried off on the backs of beasts of burden into captivity themselves. And remember, it is the Babylonians who would be showing up in Judah in the near future as Isaiah was prophesying to lay waste to the city of Jerusalem, conquer it, destroy it, and take those people captive into Babylon. And this midsection of the book of Isaiah, we believe, was written to the Jewish audience while they were in captivity. So they would read these words and they would go, Oh, that would be very nice to see. If Nebo and Marduk got their just desserts and they were carried off into captivity. Here's the point for us today. 
2,500 years removed from the penning of these words, these things that you and I put our hope in will ultimately be no hope at all. So you need to ask yourself this question this week. What false hopes can I jettison this week? Now, I wouldn't expect any of us to jettison all of them. In fact, walking free from the worship of false gods, walking free from the placing of your hope in things other than the God of the Bible, can take a lifetime. I'm endlessly comforted by the words of St. Paul. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I'm thinking if the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament was clearly still on a journey, clearly still struggling, clearly still working out his salvation in fear and trembling, why should it be any different for you? Why should it be any different for me? What false hopes can you jettison this week? Listen to me, O house of Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel, I'm in verse 3. Who been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, and to gray hair I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. If you want to live in contrast to a life of false hope, listen to God. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. Listen to God. Okay, Todd, how do I listen to God? A few simple answers. It's not complicated. Are you reading your Bible? Yes or no? Every day. Ideally every morning. Not the whole Bible in one sitting. Maybe just three chapters at a time. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, one in the Psalms. Just keep working through it. I have never, in all my years as a pastor, met anyone whose life is falling apart, who is resolutely, regularly, in their Bible. Never. I mean, I don't want to go on for the sake of time. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Like, Todd, are you giving me a to-do list? Yes, I'm giving you a to-do list. Are you talking to God at all? Are you praying without ceasing? Are the first words in your mind when you awake, directed towards the Lord God of the universe... All throughout the day, whenever you come to a crossroads, any moment where you come to a struggle, do you stop and do you ask the Lord for wisdom? Do you ask the Lord for strength? Are you continuing a dialogue with him throughout the course of your day? Yes or no? If you aren't, you are missing out on divine power. Do you regularly participate in worship? I was up at four in the morning thinking about this because I was thinking that some people might be you, still have a hard time with this whole church thing. You're like, why do I got to go to church? Why does it matter? We're just singing. Well, the reality is we're not just singing. The church is the ecclesia, the gathered people of God. And when God's people gather together and worship him, and singing in worship is part of that, something miraculous happens. In fact, I was studying a psychology book recently that was talking about the way in which humans interact in a group setting. Maybe you were studying. I can't remember now which is your studying and which is my studying. My wife is doing some work. And anyway, the story is when people sing, it causes them to synchronize their breathing. And when in a group context your breathing is synchronized, you connect subconsciously with the people in the room. 
And when you connect subconsciously with the people in the room, something amazing happens in your physiology, in your mind, and in your spirit. You're saying, well, Todd, it sounds like you're talking about group dynamics. No, I'm talking about the way in which God has created groups to connect to each other and to him dynamically. Once again, I have never met a deeply struggling Christian who is routinely worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. Are you listening to good preaching from the Bible about Jesus? I don't care if it's here. It's got to be somewhere. Are your eyes open as you walk through his creation? Are you awake to the wonder that is all around you? And are you open to the fact that God is bending your life experience in ways that you do not expect to bring him glory and to bring you joy? And is the posture of your emotions such that you take his word for it, not yours? I'm just trying to help you listen to God. Because God has spoken and God is always speaking. Ask him and rest in him. The second half of verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, this is the first half. All the remnant of the house of Israel, here's the second half. Hear this and rest. Who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. What I really wanted to do with this illustration was use Hunter Franks. You know, little crazy Hunter Franks? Crazy man. I wanted to put this backpack on him. It's the same size as him. It's starting to hurt my back. It's like chafing at the back. Imagine if it was on him. And I was going to put it on him. I was going to get him to sit here for this whole sermon up till now, but I thought he'd probably do something bad. So imagine at this point, a little hunter is wearing this backpack. And I go over to that sweet little guy, and I tuck one arm under his arms and one arm under his legs. I pick that fool up. And I would preach this next section with him in my arms. This is the heart of the sermon right here. Who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. We carry idols. He carries us. We routinely choose to carry false hope, false gods. He routinely chooses to carry us. Give him praise. Hallelujah, Lord. I will carry, verse 4, and I will save. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, I will save. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Isaiah 53, 4. Here's a teachable point for you. Are you carrying or being carried. One leads to doom. Don't mishear me. One leads to doom. The other to glory. If you want to live, you better get your mind right. To whom will you liken me, verse 5, and make me equal? And compare me that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, make it into a god, then they fall down and worship it. Here's the most important part. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. 
They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. If you're looking for a reason to trust God this morning, hear his words ringing through the voice of the prophet Isaiah and see that our God is pretty sure of himself. I love it whenever God does this. Listen to his boldness. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? So here's the hardest teaching for you this morning. In a world of plurality, get used to, get comfortable with the singularity that is Jesus. This is the most offensive thing about Christianity. Regardless of how kind a Christian is, regardless of how non-judgmental a Christian is, no matter how accepting a Christian is routinely, and we should be all those things, all of us at some point, and everyone to whom we testify at some point, will bump up against the brick wall that is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. John 14, 6. Here's the question for you. Are you worshiping a fake Savior or the real Savior? That's what's at stake here. Fake salvation, real salvation. Fake Savior, real Savior. Well, Todd, you're overstating the point. My idol is not a Savior. It's just a, it's a tradition. It's a habit. It's a preference. It's a, it's a default. It's something I learned from my parents. No, it's, it's a false savior. Verse 7. They lift it to their shoulders. Ooh, my dad knows what's coming here. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. The word for lift in Hebrew is yeshahu. Yeshahu. Do you know where this is going already? Yasha, to lift. Yashahu, they lift it up. Yeshua, Jesus, the lifted up one. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people unto myself. John 12, 32. Don't kid yourself. The false hopes you're clinging to, to help you make sense of your life, you're Jesusing them. You're Jesusing them. Y'all see it in the text, right? Not at me if you've understood the connection in the text. Yeshahu, they lift them up. Yeshua, the lifted up one. You're Jesusing your false gods. Lifting it up to the place where the real Savior should be. Todd, why do you always have to be so imperative and demanding? It's not me, it's the text. And believe me, I wrestle with this just like you do. But I told you that resistance requires a powerful why. And what is the why here? Why is this worthy of your wrestling? Because doom or glory hang in the balance here. Look at verses 8 through 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. Hear this, this is hugely important, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Verse 8, rendered accurately from the Hebrew. Hear it. Remember this 
and be on fire. Vehit asheshu, esh, fire. Remember this and be on fire. It's time to get fired up about following the right Jesus. To get fired up about it. How far removed from fired up is your way of being right now? Just ask yourself this week. You may be right there. If so, let's celebrate together. Let's take, ooh, let's take ground for Jesus' glory. Let's do it. Let's go. All right? But if you know that you're not there yet, then take this as a little kick in the behind. And get going. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember this and be on fire. Woo. Second part of verse 8. Recall it to your heart, you criminals. <laughs> I love it. Thank God. Every preacher should give themselves permission to preach the prophets once in a while. <laughs> Recall it to your heart, you criminals. Push im. <laughs> Literally criminals. I love it. I love the Lord's chutzpah that he calls his children criminals. You know it, and I know it's true. Help me, Jesus. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, hear it, and I will accomplish all my purpose. We need to get fired up and stop acting like criminals by remembering both the biblical past and our own personal past. We need to remember the fact that God made everything that is. He made everything good. And that everything fell, was cursed, and was broken when our first parents, Adam and Eve, walked into sin and rebellion. Disobeying the clear command of the Lord their God. And from that day forward, everything was breaking in the world all the time. And yes, there is still beauty, but there is always brokenness. Always death, always sorrow, always evil, always despair, always sickness, always lostness. And that is our fault, a consequence of our sin. Because God is good and made all things good, he did not leave us alone to die and then to be banished from his presence for all time. But instead, in the fullness of time, he sent his one and only son to enter into space-time history itself as the man Jesus Christ. A good man, a God man, who would perfectly fulfill his Father's will, never sin once, and when the time was right, go to the cross in Jerusalem to hang there, so that as he hung upon that cross, the sins of the world, yours and mine, might be placed on him, that he might suffer and die in our place for our sin. And then Jesus died, and they buried him in a tomb. But the third day he rose again, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. He appeared to his friends. He ate food. It's crazy. If you read the post-resurrection accounts, as I've just done recently, working my way through the synoptic gospels, he's just like randomly showing up. Like, poof, he's there. And then he's gone. Then he's eating food, and then he's gone. Then he's explaining the scriptures to his followers, and then he's gone. Then he shows up in Jerusalem, even though he's just on the road to Emmaus. It's incredible. And then right in front of their eyes, he ascends to the Father's right hand. Woo! I get so excited, I can't help it. He sits down at the Father's right hand in victory. Woo! And what does he do? Well, he's doing two things. I've told you this many times. One, he's building you a house. Because he said, I go to prepare a place for you. So he's a builder. So he gets up once in a while to go work. And then when he sits back down again, he's interceding for you. He's a cheerleader and a worker. And somebody's going to get up off that seat. Is going to create his kingdom. Ha! And my friends, you'll find that you have a place in that kingdom. 
Remember the biblical past. Remember your personal past. And never forget that God will accomplish, ooh, in the words of verse 10, all his desire. And I will accomplish not my purpose, all my desire in the Hebrew. God works not from duty. God works from desire. And what is his desire? That none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 I have spoken, verse 11b. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness. I will bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel. My glory. Worship team, you can join me. I got to take this off in just a second. My shoulders hurt. Here's the point of those last verses. You may be tired of resisting, but God's not. God's not tired. You may be tired, and the Snickers may be winning the battle, Oh, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I have spoken, saith the Lord. I will bring it to pass, saith the Lord. I have purposed, and I will do it. He's on a mission, baby. And the mission is you and your peers. You and your peers are the mission. He's a little bit full of himself, but that's okay because he's God. I bring near my righteousness. What is that? That's Emmanuel with us, God. Who's that? That's Jesus. I will bring near my righteousness. He's going to do it. He's the one who brings salvation to you. He brings salvation to you. I will bring it near. Oh, let's hear the echo. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only begotten of the Father, John 1, 14. He is putting salvation in Zion, and I already done told you two weeks ago, quoting Ephesians 2, 22, that you are the city of God, which means that the beauty, which is the word for glory, in verse 13, that he's putting in Israel, he's actually putting in you. Which is why you should drop the backpack, get down off the throne, and put your hope in the real Jesus, And then keep resisting.